from deep inside your audio device of choice. And thank you for choosing an audio device. We know you have a choice of devices. We know you have a, a choice of airlines that have monopolized your particular city, too. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, you, I think I have expressed on this program before uh, my sense of derision at the notion of the Internet of Things. For, now, first, the derision is, is uh, well-deserved only, if only on the basis of the timing of the announcement of the Internet of Things. Uh, we're coming up to, I guess, the third anniversary of the Consumer Electronics Show in Las Vegas where the, uh, this, this premise was rolled out for the uh, eager, eager convention-goers uh, that everything in the smart home, so-called, would be uh, connected to the Internet. And so you would have just a world, an undreamed-of world of convenience at your fingertips, unless something was wrong with your fingers. It was uh, the timing issue I'm referring to was that that was revealed about seven months, if you recall, and if you don't, I'm going to remind you, after Edward Snowden revealed the extent of the, let's call it snooping, spying, surveillance, being done by the NSA and uh, also by some, some fine private companies in the tech world, at least by association. So, yes, we're all being spied on, so let's connect everything else that isn't already connected to the Internet uh, just to make it easier for the people who want to surveil us or the people who want to hack us. The uh, denial, the, uh, distributed denial of service attack that happened a few weeks ago uh, was blamed on Internet. The, uh, the vector of infiltration was Internet-connected toasters, because, you, you know, driving home, you want to tell your toaster, I'm coming home soon. Medium brown, please. I have a, a just a, a, aside from the derision, of course, you know, it's so easy to tear down. Wouldn't you rather build up? But uh, I do have a suggestion for the tech world. Before you, you uh, make my light bulbs hackable, a little thing you could do first so that would actually be smart. Not just, you know, trademarked smart. Uh, an example from kind of the uh, historic boundaries of the tech world here in uh, London at Global Radio, this crazy little obsession called Global Radio, uh, whence this program originates. We, uh, Adrian Bodenham and I, he's our engineer of choice today. Well, he's gone now. Uh, try to... Uh, get a CD machine to work. I know, I said, the, the distant past of te the tech world. And uh, it refused to play the CD and flashed on its screen this message. Error 85. Now, I know CD machines, but still, I think all of you who have, who have computers or phones or any any sort of tech device know the feeling of trying to get something accomplished, and a cryptic error message like that comes up. Error 404, error 508, error 12. The machine knows something's wrong, right? And if you, if, if you ever look deep into the innards of your, let's say, computer, 
you know that it's reporting back to Apple or to Google or to somebody all sorts of information all the time, you know, to enhance the customer experience. So why can't the why isn't the machine smart enough to tell you, well, here's what's wrong? Not deliver a cryptic error message, just a crisp, here's what's wrong, go fix it. Dear Tech World, you're welcome. Hello, welcome to the show.
from London, England, just above the uh, TGI Fridays in Leicester Square, uh, which I guess is the reason that they put uh, just put the big signs on the front of the building now saying that that radio comes from here, because otherwise I think people were just just coming for the burgers. I'm Harry Shearer, welcoming you to this edition of the show. The, you may have noticed a little a little dip in the volume of the uh, first piece of music there. That was error number seven. And now, news of the warm, won't you? It's the award-winning feature of this program. Yes, it is. Soft, listen to the warm. We can listen to the warm. A warmer world will release vast volumes of carbon into the atmosphere, potentially triggering dangerous climate change. Well, scientists have warned that again. Writing in the journal Nature, they project an increase of just one degree centigrade, Celsius, sorry, will reduce, release an additional 55 billion tons of carbon into the atmosphere by 2050, triggering a positive feedback, that's negative for us, and push the planet's climate system past the point of return. What's new about this prediction is that this is the first one to take carbon released by soil into account. I blame soil. Get it off your fingers now. In the paper in Nature, an international team of scientists, not Nature the Thing, Nature the Magazine. They they don't put paper in Nature. Mother Nature would not approve. An international team of scientists said that the majority of the Earth's terrestrial store of carbon was in the soil. They warned that as the world warmed, organisms living in the planet's soils, ugh, really? Why didn't they? Would become more active, resulting in more carbon being released into the atmosphere, thereby exacerbating warming. Not exasperating it, exacerbating it. There have been concerns about this positive feedback for a long time, said the lead author. He's at uh, Yale. He was at Yale when he did this. Then he split. For the past two or three decades, there have been literally thousands of studies trying to address this topic and trying to identify whether there are going to be increases or decreases in carbon uptake of the soil in relation to warming or increases in carbon loss. He said the uncertainty had led to sizable differences in projections of future climate conditions. But he says we're the first study to take a global perspective and then map the variability and able to say that in these areas there are going to be huge losses and in these areas there are going to be some gains. Using this approach, we can get a robust idea of the whole picture. We show that actually the losses are going to be really considerable. Really considerable, unquote. Using data stretching over 20 years from 49 sites across the globe, the team found that global carbon stocks, I'd sell them, would fall by up to 55 petagrams under a business-as-usual scenario. Carbon comes out of the soil, which leads to more warming, which leads to more carbon out of the soil. It is a reinforcing cycle, said the lead author. The concerning thing is that our projection is we're going to lose 55 petagrams, 55 trillion kilograms by 2050. This process is only going to accelerate and accelerate, he said, repeating his repetition. In the global carbon cycle, soils act as a place where carbon is stored in a state that doesn't directly influence the climate system. Carbon is trapped in the soil because it's taken from the atmosphere by plant material through photosynthesis. You remember that. That's why chlorophyll is green. No. Okay, something's green. 
some toothpaste in the 50s. Particularly in cold places, it gets stored in the soil, the uh, carbon, for a long time, minimizing the atmospheric concentrations. In the soil, there are microbes and soil animals. Ugh. I walk on that stuff, as well as plant roots, and they all use that soil carbon for their growth and activity. When it's really cold, the activity and growth is limited, but when it warms, warming is likely to be disproportionately happening in cold areas. Duh. Then the more active they are set to become. The increased activity by the organisms mean they will consume greater volumes of the carbon in the soil and then release it as carbon dioxide. It's very similar to the way we respire and produce carbon dioxide, he said. Because there's such a huge biomass of microbes and soil animals, that respiration really can be massive. So, kill off the soil animals, babe. Come on. We got time. Waste them. And climate scientists have denounced the House Committee in the United States, the House of Representatives Committee on Science, Space, and Technology, after the Republican-led panel promoted a misleading story expressing skepticism that the Earth is dangerously warming. On Thursday afternoon, the committee tweeted a Breitbart article with the headline, Global Temperatures Plunge Icy Silence from Climate Alarmists. That story linked to a British tabloid, the Daily Mail, which claimed that global land temperatures were plummeting and that humans were not responsible for years of steadily increasing heat. The Daily Mail story cited without specifics exaggerated the degree of the fall, according to these scientists, and left out three important points of context. El Nino system, ocean temperatures rising, and the clear upward pattern of year-on-year changes. They're not serious articles, said a Columbia University climate scientist, Adam Sobel. They paint it as though it's an argument between Breitbart and BuzzFeed when it's an argument between a snarky Breitbart blogger, nice use of alliteration, babe, and the entire world's scientific community and the overwhelming body of scientific evidence. He said the articles grossly misinterpret a few accurate details, for instance, that El Nino and La Nina systems play a large role in single-year fluctuations. That in no way, he says, disproves anything about the causes of the long-term trends. He called the committee's use of Breitbart distressing. If the House Science Committee wants to understand science, they should talk to climate scientists, he says. A climate scientist at Penn State, Michael Mann, not the filmmaker, a lot of, lot of Michael Manns around, noted that 2016 would soon be the hottest year on record by a substantial margin over 2015, which took the record from 2014. The three consecutive record-breaking warm years, something we've never seen before, he said, and a reminder of the profound and deleterious impact that our profligate burning of fossil fuels is having on the planet, he told another British newspaper, not the Mail. For anyone, he says, least of all the House Committee on Science, to be promoting fake news aimed at fooling the public can only be interpreted as a deliberate effort to distract and fool the public. Yes, fooling the public can be interpreted as fooling the public, sir. I think you've put your finger on something there. Promoting the articles, he continues, is beneath the dignity of anyone holding higher office. Unquote. I think, I think you ought to talk to a political scientist before you uh, hazard an opinion as to the dignity of people holding public office. That's just, that's just me personally. This is an astounding, astounding example of cherry-picking the data, says a professor at MIT. Global land temperatures fluctuate significantly from one month to the next. The article in question appears to have cherry-picked a drop in global land temperatures, not including the ocean, which covers 70% of the globe, for a single month. 
Breitbart quoting the Daily Mail. I don't know, you know, you're in, if you're in the United States, you may not be aware of just how trustworthy the Daily Mail is. They could get a clue from some of the quotes there. News of the Warm, a copyrighted feature of this broadcast. Uh, I'll, I'll uh, try quoting only tabloids for a week and see how that works. But in the meantime, it's time for me to read the trades for you. copyrighted feature of this broadcast. NFL's plans to speed up games may impact advertising. Ooh, from advertising age, they would know. And you will too after I read it for you. The NFL is taking its ongoing primetime ratings crunch very seriously. You know that ratings are down this year for professional football in the United States except for a few key games. And many of the ideas the league has been kicking around as it looks to reverse the slide are designed to shave a few minutes off the game clock. I said clock. Trouble is, few of the proposals are likely to pass muster with the networks. Speaking earlier this month at a deal book forum, NFL Commissioner Roger Goodell said the league is eager to streamline the games, which on average clock in at around... Three hours and six minutes. We want to take as much as what we call dead time, non-action, out of the game. So we can make the game more exciting, Goodell said. Adding that the NFL may, quote, look at ways to maybe take some commercialization out of the game. Unquote. Whatever such an effort may entail would have to be approved by the NFL's TV partners, who pay billions each year for the rights to carry the games. According to Godell, the league would either push the broadcaster sell, to sell fewer in-game ads or, quote, maybe have the ads come in different ways than the traditional what we call pods. That's right. They're pod people. Said one network insider in response, quote, unless there's some kind of quid pro quo, that's not going to happen. Removing inventory from the games is not a conversation that anyone on the broadcast side is eager to have. There's a similar announcement by NFL's executive VP of media, Brian Rolap. We're looking very hard at the commercialization of the game, he said at the National Association of Broadcasters show in New York. An NFL game can have close to 70 commercial units in a game. Um, can we do that better? And it's not just do you take commercials out of the game and look to do something different. But you actually spread out the commercial pods and do that different. Unquote. Somebody introduce him to adverbs, please, before he speaks in public again. While Rolap did not give guidance on how many spots the NFL may look to eliminate or what forms the reconfigured commercial pods would assume, he said the league is in open communication with the networks on the matter. In a world where Netflix... Oh, sorry. Quote. In a world where Netflix has no commercials and every consumer is conditioned to a 15-second pre-roll on YouTube, is there a better way to do commercials with our broadcast partners, he asked? Rolap's assessment of the average number of units is a bit understated. Season-to-date primetime NFL broadcasts have carried an average of 81 spots per game. 
And that count doesn't include network promos. That's because they're good. Say they want to take as much as 120 seconds of ad time out, said an executive. How does that serve the viewers? How does that serve the advertisers? Is an ad here and there enough for the fans to even notice? Because the advertisers will notice. They'll be paying more. You take supply out, you're going to raise the price. Any move to put the squeeze on the volume of commercials would only serve to further jack up the cost of buying in the game advertising. Squeeze the average in-game commercial load by as little as 5% in an NFL package facing a 15% ratings decline. Marketers could find themselves paying on the order of $860,000 a pop for a 30-second ad. This would only serve to dissuade marketers with less profligate budgets from investing in the occasional 30-second spot. Think you've had your fill of Papa John's, Geico, and Nationwide ads? Wait till the likes of Dollar Shave Club and Avocados from Mexico are priced out of the market. Of course, if the NFL were to give its network partners the green light on in-game integrations and the sort of sponsor enhancements familiar to fans of baseball, the NBA, and NHL, the ad load issue would sort itself out. The NFL's replay review process is unnecessarily protracted. Why not kill two birds and cut down on some of the dead air by having the league office make the final verdict in a segment that's exclusive to a sponsor? This has been done before. In the early 1980s, ABC developed You Make the Call. Which is not to say the NFL isn't justified in wanting to police its on-screen product. Its $400 million sweetheart deal with the Microsoft Surface Pro has proven to be a comedy of errors as broadcast crews have repeatedly referred to the device as an iPad. And the gizmos don't get a lot of love from NFL quarterbacks either. In a regional game on Fox last year, Packers quarterback Aaron Rodgers flung his device in disgust after a costly interception. A few weeks later, the Browns' Johnny Manziel attempted to headbutt his Surface Pro after giving up a pick against the 49ers. The clips gathered ahead of steam on social media, and this was before Patriots coach Bill Belichick announced he was sidelining the product altogether. You heard about that on this broadcast. When asked if the NFL may have spread itself too thin, Goodell told the crowd at the deal book, the league is always eliminating the extent of its TV footprint. If any suite of games are on the chopping block, it's the crack of dawn trio of Sunday morning London broadcasts. Those will be the first to go, predicted one network executive. The early games are a waste of inventory. It could be put to better use at one o'clock. I can't see them continuing in that time slot. Oh no. No more games at Wembley. A fearful prospect brought to light because I read the trades for you. 
Copyrighted feature of this broadcast. From London, where there won't be no football no more, this is the show, and um, we have now lived through uh, another week of the uh, run-up to the Trump administration. Just today, something unprecedented, um, the announcement of supposedly the new tax plan for the uh, incoming administration announced in a series of tweets before uh, before uh, Inauguration Day. It's novel. It's interesting. Um, phone calls this week coming pour, pouring in to Trump Tower or, or Mar-a-Lago or some. Somebody can patch between the two, I guess. We have the technology. Not the error messages, but the technology. Uh, so the uh, there was a congratulatory a phone call from the president of Pakistan, prime minister of Pakistan, and uh, from the president, the uh, newly, I think, re- recently elected female president of Taiwan. She broke the glass ceiling. She broke the grass ceiling uh, to uh, 
President-elect Trump, which raised a few uh, hackles in the uh, foreign affairs community. These are the people who sit in think tanks until they get jobs in the State Department, until they have to go back to think tanks. That's what they, uh, the foreign foreign policy community. Um, because, of course, China has, uh, which covets Taiwan, it's an offshore island, um, maintains that Taiwan is in fact part of China, even though it has a completely different political system. And we sell military equipment to Taiwan. But, we're, you know, you're not supposed to know that. Or they're not supposed to know that. You can know it. Just don't tell the Chinese. Anyway, he did that. Um, and and um, other other reactions were equally strong to um, his continued... His continued seat in power uh, or in in incoming power. The uh, recounts initiated by the Green Party um, are proceeding apparently in Michigan and Wisconsin, but not in Pennsylvania. So Pennsylvania, you'll have to find, I I guess you'll have to watch football for entertainment because the recount ain't happening. Um, Yes, it it sounds. it, It sounds a little humdrum. When I just recite it like that, it, we could, I guess, make it a, a little more exciting. This week, for the first time, the challenge continues. And now, with the world's eyes upon the contestants and the businessman turned president elect, the tasks become even harder for the presidentess. So, Mitt. Yes, sir. You like the food here? Very good food. Best in the world, do you think? Some of the best in the world? Well, I'm not a big foodie, sir, but yes, I'd say it is uh, very likely to be. Here's your task. I'd like to see how much of it you can eat in the next five minutes. The food. That's right. The food. Kellyanne? You're looking really rested today, sir. Hmm. I was up tweeting, but thanks. How do you think you did going on television and criticizing me about the Mitt Romney thing? I thought I was forceful. I thought I made the case that your voters would have wanted someone on your team to make. Okay. I thought so, too. This week, your task is to say nothing in public for the next few days. I I thought I'd been one of your more successful public spokespeople, actually. I thought so, too. That's why this task is a particular challenge for you. Do you think you can handle it? I can't even talk to Rush. What do you think? General Mattis. Yes, sir. I liked our little meeting the other day. I enjoyed it too, sir. I liked it when you told me cigarettes and beer work better at getting information than uh, torture. Well, it's been my experience and the experience of everybody I know in the military and intelligence fields. I want you to be my Secretary of Defense. I appreciate your trust in me, sir. I think it's a job I'm capable of doing, doing well. I know that. Here's the task for you. Get the information from the detainees with the cigarettes, but without the beer. Can you do that? (laughs) I would rather have all of the arrows in my quiver, of course. What about waterboarding and beer? Would that help you do your job? 
I think I'm going to make it work with just the cigarettes. Note. <laughs> yes, sir. Still around. Yes, sir. Uh, Callista's in the other room, too. You were you very good as the voice of the bass, criticizing the Romney thing. <laughs> I did think it represented a profound betrayal of everything you stand for, sir. You've been very loyal to me. <laughs> I did take a few bullets for you, <laughs> of course. I prize loyalty. Well, I think, if I may, that's one of your most outstanding qualities, aside from your appreciation of gratuitous praise. Your task, again this week, is to stand by, maybe say something to appeal to the base, and otherwise just be still around. Well, to be absolutely uh, painfully honest, uh, I and, and Calista on my behalf have been uh, perhaps anticipating a, a more robust role in the... You know, uh, I've learned a great thing about real loyalty is that it doesn't have to be rewarded, right? Well, I never looked at it that way before, but... I'm sure Chris Christie would look at it that way right about now. I'll let Callista know. President Sai. Is that how I pronounce it? I've been briefed, but, you know, my people... That's correct. And uh, congratulations again. That's so very nice. You know, uh, I talked to the president of Pakistan the uh, day before yesterday. He's terrific. But I think you may be even more terrific. Of course. And this may ruffle the feathers of the large country across the water from me. You know what? That's a great task for you this week. Really? Sure. Ruffle their feathers. Ruffle their beaks too, if you can. I don't think beaks ruffle. So, Mitt, our second meeting... I'm going to take that as a good sign. I meet with a lot of people twice. As do I. So, we have that in common. I thought a lot about what you said. Great. I don't remember it, but I thought about it. Are you comfortable with that? Well, I guess it just means I have to repeat myself a lot. Good answer. You want more cheese? <laughs> I'm not big on Have the cheese. Big hunk of it. Okay. Uh, maybe I'll have them wrap it for me to take. Eat it here. The cheese? That too. New team. New tasks. Same mission. We are going to make this format great again. And at the end of a crucial week. Okay. You've all completed your tasks. Who is the weak spot? Nobody? Okay. Then... What's the verdict? <laughs> Mr. Trump, Trump you're rehired. Draining the swamp was never drainier. The Presidentus. This week, you can't not watch. Now, the apologies of the week. So sorry. Oh, we got a bunch of apologies this week. Overflowing, don't you know? And we start right here. Ernest Walker, a black U.S. Army veteran, was denied a meal at Chili's in Chicago on Veterans Day. Chili's, like many restaurants around the country, offers free meals to vets on Veterans Day, but at this particular one, oh, sorry, it was in Texas. Cedar Hill, the manager decided not to serve the American serviceman. 
Since the incident, Chili's has removed the manager and released the following statement. Quote, we personally apologize to Mr. Walker for the unfortunate experience in our restaurant on Veterans Day and thanked him for his service to our country. We also thanked him for taking the time to speak with us, and he appreciated our apology. Unquote. Walker says things now, since this went public, have gotten worse for his family. The Army vet has received multiple death threats, unsolicited mail, and has had to move out of his house to ensure his family's safety. Is it really worth it to eat at Chili's? One of the world's biggest cruise lines, Princess Cruises, has been caught polluting the seas. The California-based company, which is owned by cruise giant Carnival. Princess is owned by Carnival? will plead guilty to seven felony charges relating to polluting and intentional acts to cover it up, according to the Department of Justice. As part of a plea agreement, Princess will also pay... Oh, Princess is going to pay a penalty. Princess is going to pay a $40 million penalty, the largest ever involving deliberate vessel pollution. Let's be very clear. Princess engaged in exceptionally serious criminal offenses, said Assistant Attorney General John Cruden. It deliberately violated the international law designed to make sure our precious oceans are protected, unquote. Five princess ships were involved in illegal activity. Princess, or Carnival, which owns Princess. Cruden, oh, by the way, said the case was the result of more than just bad actors on the line ship. Princess itself is to blame because the nature and extent of the crimes involve a striking failure of corporate culture and a serious failure in ship management. He said Princess is a company that knew better and should have done better, unquote. Therefore, no executive charged. As part of the plea agreement, Princess and cruise ships from seven other Carnival-owned brands, including Holland America, will be under a court-supervised environmental compliance program for five years. Ouch, those risks. In a statement, Princess expressed remorse. We're extremely disappointed about the inexcusable actions of our employees who violated our policies in environmental law when they bypassed our bilge water tr- treatment system and discharged untreated bilge into the ocean. We are very sorry that this happened, unquote, Princess. Not every day a princess apologizes. Dateline Portland, Oregon, Starbucks could be in for a new coffee cup-related brouhaha after mislabeling a landmark on an Oregon-themed travel mug. The Oregonian reports that the Seattle-based coffee chain has introduced a travel mug bearing sketches of notable Oregon landmarks, including Crater Lake National Park, food food carts in Portland, and Ashland Shakespeare Festival. There's also a waterfall design identified as Klamath Falls. No such waterfall exists. The simple line drawing of a falls topped by an arched bridge was likely meant to depict Multnomah Falls in the Columbia River Gorge. Klamath Falls is a town in southern Oregon. Starbucks apologized by mail on Thursday. The story doesn't say to whom Starbucks apologized. To the falls? Rosie O'Donnell is making amends with Melania Trump, the comic... Apologized to the future First Lady via social media this week after retweeting a video on November 21 speculating that Trump's son Barron may have autism. I apologize. I was insensitive in my retweet. I'm sorry for the pain I caused. It was not my intent. I am truly sorry. After issuing her apology, the former View co-host then made her Twitter account private. The YouTube user who posted the original video also apologized on Thursday and removed the clip. You know, if it took electing Donald Trump to get Rosie O'Donnell's Twitter feed private, all right, no, maybe it wasn't. 
If you use iCal, if you're an Apple Mac user and have noticed a weird sudden influx of calendar invitations suggesting you buy bootleg purse knockoffs, you're not alone. Just before Black Friday, spammers started tapping a relatively new technique, sending spam as event invites to iCloud email addresses rather than sending standard emails. By default, iCloud processes these and tries to add them to your calendar, which helped the spammers sneak around spam filters and generally caused a notification to pop up on your screens. After a few days of silence on the matter, Apple acknowledged the issue, apologized for the spam, and says it's working on fixing it. Meanwhile, they'll put up a cryptic error message with no explanation as a service to their customers. But wait, there's more. So much more. A video that's that, that uh, this is the the apology about the video. The video that suggested that Baron Trump, Donald Trump's youngest son, might have autism, was removed Tuesday after Melania Trump's lawyer threatened to sue the man that uploaded the video. He's retracted it and apologized for it on the same YouTube page. Said the lawyer Charles Harder. You may recall him. He was the lawyer who sued Gawker on behalf of Hulk Hogan. He's having a good year. Charles Harder. The video's creator said since being plunged in the spotlight, Barron has exhibited behavior similar to those who have autism. Hunter's video showed Barron moving erratically while clapping, making strange movements while sitting, walking wobbly, and expressing lack of social skills and understanding. Charts shown in the video said at age 60, the age Donald Trump had Barron, the likelihood of autism increases drastically. In his apology, Hunter, who says he has autism, said he didn't mean any harm when he created the video. I never, ever meant this as a bullying video. As someone who was diagnosed at age five and has gone through bullying myself, I would never do something like that. I made this because I truly believe Barron was on the spectrum. That's the name of the new cable company. I'm on the spectrum. I'm watching ESPN. And I wanted people to stop bullying him over his weird behavior, said Hunter, and explained to them it might actually be due to a condition. I never meant to hurt anyone. Chelsea Football Club here in uh, London town, has apologized profusely to Gary Johnson. Not what is Aleppo, Gary Johnson. Who is Gary Johnson? No, Gary Johnson, who the club says suffered unacceptably while a youth team soccer player in the 1970s. The, there is a currently sweeping the United Kingdom, ladies and gentlemen, is a sex abuse scandal involving youth soccer players. So it's not just the churches. And the London club said it had no desire to hide any historic abuse we uncover from view. The club said an external review would examine whether it carried out a proper investigation when the allegations of sexual abuse, abuse first came to light and why it did not report them to the overall group of professional football clubs in England, the Football Association, the FA. We are fully committed to ensuring the safety and well-being of all children and young people who are in our care or attending our premises, Chelsea said in a statement. Their welfare is of paramount importance. Paramount had no comment. It was previously claimed Chelsea paid off Johnson, who alleged he was abused by a former employee, Eddie Heath. Johnson said he was paid £50,000 not to go public with allegations that he was sexually abused by the team's former chief scout. He, he, he may have mis- misunderstood the... the uh, the job description. Chelsea said it had appointed an external law firm to carry out a formal investigation, but they have apologized profusely in the meantime. 
The uh, statement comes after former Chelsea star Alan Hudson said it was common knowledge that former coach Heath was, quote, a danger to its youngsters, unquote. A Kensington Prince Edward Island police officer, this is Canada News, has apologized for bullying Nickelback and removed a Facebook Facebook post. Nickelback and Facebook. No, removed a Facebook post, he says, drew a reaction far beyond his expectations. Constable Rob Hartland, Hartian, Hartland had posted on the police Facebook site, because, you know, cops have to be on Facebook, right? That he would force arrested drivers to listen to Nickelback's 2001 album Silver Side Up as a punishment for drinking and driving. It was just his way of using humor to spread an important message, he said. CBC, the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation, published a story about the tongue-in-cheek post, as did other media around the world, including Time and CNN. At no time, no time did I think it would go as far as it did. On Friday, Hartland removed the post and in a new Facebook post wrote a public apology to Nickelback. I didn't want to turn this into an anti-Nickelback, he said. The more I thought about it, the more I saw the comments, and the more I saw people sort of jumping on the we love and we love to hate Nickelback bandwagon. I was like, I think we're losing the message here, and I'm sort of feeling a little bad about what's going on. In his news Facebook post, Hartland said as a police officer, he was sorry for sending the wrong message to children. What will we tell the children? Tell them to go in the other room. A part-time math instructor at University of Nevada, Las Vegas, has embroiled the university in a national immigration debate that was a focus of the presidential campaign and appears to have been reignited across the country. In a Facebook conversation, George Buch, or Buck, B-U-C-H, a former graduate student and current instructor, said he would alert immigration and customs about students in his class who may have come into the country illegally. He said, there are no safe spaces in my classes for such students. I would have to turn you into ICE, read his post during comments made to a student of Cuban descent. Late Thursday, Buk, or Buck apparently apologized, according to a story on the website of the student newspaper, quoting a statement from Buck that read in part, I'm extremely sorry for the comments. I know how hurtful they are to many of you. It was intended to be a joke. Humor by amateurs, ladies and gentlemen. Although clearly a poor one, I have never, nor will I ever, create a classroom of hate or intolerance. A local First Amendment lawyer defended his comments as protected free speech. He has received high marks from students on a professor rating, rating website. We like when he says he's going to deport us. That's our favorite part of the class. Six years after the deadly cholera epidemic in Haiti began, outgoing U.N. Secretary General Ban Ki-moon apologized this week for how the U.N. responded to the crisis. But he did not acknowledge that U.N. peacekeepers started it. Guess why? Quote, on behalf of the United Nations, I want to say very clearly we apologize to the Haitian people. We simply did not do enough to re- with regard to the cholera outbreak and its spread in Haiti. Unquote. The closest ban comes to a public admission that U.N. peacekeeping soldiers brought cholera to Haiti, which has been widely reported, is a sentence that calls U.N. role, quote, a blemish on the reputation of U.N. peacekeeping. An official U.N. human rights watchdog called Ban's apology a half-apology. Or a half-pology, I would say. He's, he warns the failure of the U.N. to accept legal responsibility for causing the epidemic renders a meaning apology impossible and underlines Ban's plea for member states to chip in $400 million to help fight cholera and compensate victims in Haiti. The uh, incoming Secretary General, Antonio Guterres, has said little about the U.N.'s obligation to Haiti. 
CNN on Friday apologized after one of its producers was caught on a hot mic making a joke about President-elect Trump's plane crashing. An unfortunate and inappropriate remark was made by one of our producers off camera yesterday, a CNN representative told Business Insider. We've apologized to the Trump transition team, and the producer has been disciplined. As correspondent Suzanne Malveaux prepared for a live shot, a producer was heard discussing various hand signals with you. That means his planes crashed. Just kidding, the producer said. Humor by amateurs. CNN edition. The Mason City, Iowa Police Department didn't admit that one of its officers arrested an innocent man following a reported attack on a home improvement store worker, but the police chief, Jeff Brinkley, offered an apology this week to the local businessman and former police officer who was arrested on an assault charge and later had the charges dismissed. Sorry about the incorrect arrest. The president of South Korea said this week, Dear respected citizens, once again I apologize for causing you enormous troubles because of my carelessness. As I see the citizens suffering heartache due to this issue, I think it is evident I must apologize even hundreds of times. The series of events that have occurred now as a result of my pursuit of public benefit for the nation. But I admit it was my huge fault that I failed to manage my personal life and take care of people around me. I will explain all the details about this political scandal in the near future. Once again, I would like to apologize to the citizens and plead that the political circle will combine their wisdom. And uh, she's also resigning. So the glass ceiling returns to South Korea. And, well, there's a lengthy story, but the thrust of it is that TV show in South Korea, SNL South Korea, SNL Korea, was once again engaging in some uh, actions which were sexually embarrassing to a youth pop band appearing on the show. Again, it's like it's like real SNL. And an Illinois thank, a family spent Thanksgiving in an airport after they were kicked off an American Airlines flight because their son's service dog, Chug, was too big. In a statement, American Airlines said it apologized to the family, the Weasels, and is reaching out to them, adding the company is looking into the issue with the regional car- carrier who operated that flight. Oh, it's the Apology of the Week, a copyrighted feature of this broadcast. Among the announcements of uh, President-elect Trump's cabinet this week, Stephen Mnuchin as Treasury Secretary, designate. President Trump was, President-elect Trump was going to drain the swamp, as you recall, had de- de- denounced the influence and the influx of bankers into uh, the political system. Mnuchin like several Treasury secretaries before him, comes from, among other places, Goldman Sachs. When Mr. Goldman left Mr. Sachs, business ran on railroad tracks. The world was simpler, you who can't forget. When Messer Sachs and Goldman met, said Mr. Goldman for years and years, our guys have got the most between the ears. Said Mr. Sachs, let's unhook the reins and find new ways to profit off our traders' brains.
Ladies and gentlemen, that's going to conclude this week's edition of the show. The program returns next week at the same time over these same stations over NPR worldwide throughout Europe. You send 440 cable system to Japan, around the world through the facilities of the American Forces Network, up and down the east coast of North America via the shortwave giant WBCQ, the planet 7.490 megahertz shortwave on the mighty 104 in Berlin on Soho Radio in London. Around the world via the Internet at two different locations, live and archived, whenever you want it, at harryshare.com and kcsn.org. Available for your smartphone through stitcher.com and available as a free podcast from Sound, SoundCloud, Sideshow Network, iTunes, TuneIn, and wwno.org. If you're in the London area, Judith Owens and my Christmas Without Tears charity variety music and comedy show is this Thursday at King's Place in London. Special guest Stephen Merchant just added to the array of Elizabeth McGovern, Jackie Dankworth, Judith Owen, whose new record has just been named one of the records of the year by the Sunday Times, all at King's Place this Thursday at 8 o'clock for the benefit of shelter. And in Chicago, Sunday, a week from tonight, a completely different Christmas Without Tears at Space in Evanston, Illinois. Maybe a ticket or two is available for that. You all in Chicago know about this. We're coming back to London after a couple of years. The email address for this program. Playlist of the music heard here on your chance to get Cars I Talk t-shirts all at harryshare.com. And I'm on Twitter at the Harry Shearer.
Uh, to the show, Shaq Poet of the San Diego Pistons. Oh, I said that. Thanks to uh, Pam Holstead, Jenny Lawson at WWNU New Orleans, and Adrian Bodnam here at Global Radio in London for help with today's broadcast. The show comes to you from Century Progress Productions. It originates from the facilities of WWNU New Orleans, flagship station of the Change is Easy radio network. So long from London.